So I love music. I think that's uh, been well established. And what makes a great one-hit wonder? When I say one-hit wonder, what's the first song that comes to your mind? Just say it out loud. Okay, Madonna's not a one-hit wonder. Uh, What makes a great one-hit wonder? Well, I've kind of been thinking about it. I've been listening to all these great one-hit wonders. Part of it is the opening hook is always killer. The chorus is always extremely catchy. And you cannot get it out of your head. That is what makes a great one-hit wonder. There's all these lists. Certainly, I'm a kid of the 90s, and so some of the most amazing one-hit wonders come out of the 90s. You know who you are. Like somebody said, I think, if I didn't hear it, I heard it in my own head, Vanilla Ice. One of the greatest memes currently is Vanilla Ice should run for president because he likes to stop, collaborate, and listen. Certainly, Snow, Informer, my first CD that I ever purchased, Tub Thumping. Uh, so, ru- <laughs> yeah, see, some of you are like, oh, yeah, that's right. I've been doing all these, like, non-scientific surveys with people asking about one-hit wonders. Well, Rolling Stone, back in 2011, did a poll of the best top ten one-hit wonders. And Lee and I were talking, and unfortunately, due to copyright streaming things, we can't share them with you um, now, but you can hear them in your head. Coming in at number five, Tainted Love by Soft Cell. I mean, think about it. That song opens, and you immediately know what it is, and you're like, oh, yeah, this was their only good song. Lee got this one, and it really shocked me because I've never heard of it. In a big country, by big country. This next one, number three, is going to shock you because you're going to be like, certainly there was another hit that he had, Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky. That was his only hit. Dexie's Midnight Runners. You know who sang, what, what they sang? Come on, Eileen. Right? You're like, oh, yeah, of course. But the number one, and Lee, I got to give it to him, the music genius that he is, he got this. As we were going through this, the number one Rolling Stone 2011 one-hit wonder, Take On Me by AHA. You know who's not doing one-hit wonders? Taylor Swift. All she does is Prince Money. She just re-records her songs, and you're like, this sounds a lot like the last time she sang this song. Oh, but it's slightly different, and she is getting paid. Today, we are in Hebrews, closing out chapter 9. Thus, thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves were with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not only into, not into, let's start this again. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those 
who are eagerly waiting for him. So we've been talking through this whole chapter, and we've been going through all of these compare and contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, compare and contrast with the Old Sacrificial and the New Sacrificial system, meaning the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, talking about you know, the, the earthly representation of the tabernacle and what all that means. And so we get into this, uh, this part where, where the writer is saying, Something that is very, very confusing. What are these copies? Well, it's, again, this physical representation of an eternal reality. If you're thinking of, in a philosophical sense, Plato's myth of the cave, you know, that there's these actual things that exist out there, and these are just mere representations of them. But it's this interesting contrast of what types of sacrifices are being offered. And clearly the writer says what Jesus is offering is a better sacrifice. It's kind of like Friday night. We're at Kinship Partners Taste of the Lakes over at Grandview Lodge. And there's all of these fantastic things to eat. I mean, it is just like amazing. And there are certain things that you eat and you're like, yeah, I mean, that's good. But it certainly doesn't compare to that over there. This prime rib roll lollipop thing. Our friend Nick Hagelin almost died choking on his because somehow he believed me that he should eat it in one bite. (laughs) I know the Heimlich guy. He would have not died. We would have just laughed at him. It's this compare and contrast and, and what is the greatest? And clearly the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince us that Jesus is the greatest sacrifice. If you're not familiar with what Kinship Partners is, it's a phenomenal mentoring relationship that exists, certainly in the Brainerd Lakes area. And it's a little bit like our Timberwood Kids buddy thing that we're trying to, you know, kind of get some people on board with, but on a much larger scale. All we're asking for is one hour on a Sunday morning to buddy with a child and, and they're asking for a much larger commitment. Both things are amazing. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is offering this better sacrifice. Verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. And, and so we have to wrestle with, like, why is Jesus going to heaven to offer a sacrifice, is it to cleanse what's going on up in heaven? Well, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because has sin infected heaven? And part of it is the ancient Near Eastern cosmology is slightly different than our cosmology today. And and so as we discuss this and kind of wrestle with this, that seems to be the best explanation is that what Jesus is offering in this heavenly sense is an eternal sacrifice for the eternality of human beings' souls. And so that's where this confusing language comes in. But check this out. Why is he doing it? Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I mean, let that sink in. Jesus Christ, God comes to earth, fully human, fully God, dies on the cross, 
goes to heaven for himself? No, for us. Jesus Christ goes and he appears before his Father and he says, I am here to represent my people. I mean, just let that sink in. I mean, if you want to, and you have your own Bible, you can take the pen that is in front of you, that you fill out the card with, and you could put, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on Eric's behalf. I mean, how great is that? Jesus Christ goes and appears on your behalf. Let's try this again. Right! Yes! Thank you! I was at this conference with all these interdenominational people, and I loved our Pentecostal friends because they were not afraid, and our friends from the black church that are not afraid to express how amazing this thing is that is salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ goes to God and he says, I am here to represent my people. Woo! I mean, seriously, this is the most amazing thing ever. And we're like, I mean, it's okay. (laughs) And I understand our inherited culture hamstrings us a little bit, but we can change. We can be different. (laughs) We can be different. Ah. Seriously, though, God, Jesus Christ, goes to appear before God on your behalf, on my behalf. Think about that. And I know... I certainly have had many, many months of personal internal struggles and, and for some reason I just randomly cry at all sorts of different things. And, and then you think about this and you look in the mirror and you read this verse, you memorize this verse, and you say, Eric, Jesus Christ has gone and appeared before God on your behalf. There's nothing to fear. Nor, verse 25, was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is the no-repeat workday. When Jesus Christ says on the cross, it is finished, he means it. It is finished. Sin and death have been taken care of on our behalf. And I know we can get hung up at this end of, what is the end of the ages thing here? And, and you know, one of my most recent favorite podcasts, Ding, is Voxology, and they were talking on Monday about how Jesus Christ's death is the middle of the sentence. It's not the end of the sentence. So let's just think about that for a second. Jesus Christ comes 
not at the end of time, but in the middle of time, to bring about the opportunity for the forgiveness of sins once for all, never to be repeated again and again and again and again. Or to say it slightly differently, John Mark Comer was talking on the Holy Post on Wednesday. They were talking about uh, N.T. Wright's vision of this five-act play that is history. So you have creation, uh, creation fall, you have Israel, you have redemption, then you have the church is kind of in this fifth act of the play. And I love how they describe it. It's, you know, the church begins in the book of Acts and it will end when Jesus, you know, its earthly position will end when Jesus Christ comes back. And in the middle is where we're at. How amazing is that? Like, the end isn't here yet, and yet we have access to God through Jesus Christ, and we get to play and imagine what it is like to live as followers of Jesus Christ in this in-between. And I know we, we, often, we often look at the end. We get so obsessed with, well, when's he coming back, and what's it going to look like, and are we closer, and, and, and you know, checking boxes. And how often is it that when we check all these boxes and we get so worked up about the end, we miss out on living in the middle? And Jesus Christ did not just come and die so that we could all go to heaven. I don't know, some of you are like, really? Really? If that was God's goal, then after Jesus' death and resurrection, there would have just been like, whoop, we're done here. Christ came to forgive our sins for today, <laughs> for the in-between, for in the middle. So that when we say yes to Jesus Christ, we're like, God, I know that you've sent your son to represent me and I've said yes to you. And now I get to live the rest of my life fulfilling the call that you have placed on my life, which is to worship you and be transformed by your spirit. How exciting is that? Like, fear is gone. We don't have to worry about the end. The end is already figured out. We just get to live in the middle. It's a little bit like deer hunting. Everyone's like, oh, have you had success deer hunting? Yes. Oh, what'd you shoot? Nothing. Deer hunting isn't about shooting deer. Surprise. Spoiler alert. The people that go out into the woods and don't shoot deer are probably having the most fun because they're out there to experience the in-between. There's all this excitement every time before you're going to go in the stand. You're certain. You're certain. And then there's the in-between. Yesterday I'm sitting out there and the snow is falling and she's like, I don't even care if I shoot anything. Tori's like, I bet, mm, okay. Okay, I've admitted I've been frustrated and disappointed. I can still enjoy it. It's about the middle. But so often we get so obsessed with like, okay, I've said yes to Jesus, now just like, I'm set for death. And we miss out on the joy of living in the present. 
The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and frees us so that we can live as transformed followers of Jesus Christ today. And so often we miss out on the value of today because we're looking to the end. Jesus comes and he presents himself one time to take care of sin. And the writer gives us this analogy. Human beings don't die multiple times. You get one shot at this thing called life. In the same way, Jesus Christ dies one time for our sin. And just as it is appointed for man to die, or human beings to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Jesus Christ offered to bear the sins of many. And I know we're like, well, so did we get into this theological wrestling? We can get into the weeds around what, well, who are the many? And doesn't he die for everyone? And, and we could get into some serious theological weeds here and miss out. Jesus Christ's death covers the sins of those people who are willing to accept his forgiveness. Those are the many. And I know we wrestle with we wrestle with the residual carryover. Sin has been taken care of. And yet we still live with the effects and the consequences of it today. It's a little bit like this. Uh, a few years ago, and now that I'm getting older, a few years ago is probably like eight. <laughs> Time is just like poof, gone. I had come home from the cities, and I opened my garage door, and this, was, uh, this is how long you know it was, because I was still parking in the garage when I had a Goldie. May she rest in peace. And, and there was a skunk in my garage. And I was like, oh, we got a problem. See, we have these two outdoor cats, and so we got to protect the cats from the skunk. And, and you're like, well, how'd the, how'd the skunk get in? Well, the skunk got in the same way the cats get in. And so then I set up a trap. Outside the garage, my friend Carl hooked me up with some traps, and so then I wake up every morning that this trap is set in eager expectation. Ah, we got it! So what do I do? I go into the bedroom. I retrieve the 22. You realize this was a home invasion, and I'm pretty sure most of you that were upset that I'm going to take care of this animal. Wouldn't be upset if it was in my house, but anyways. And I'm aware that if I don't kill this thing instantly, it's going to spray. I'm like, I'm a good shot. <laughs> I mean, sure, I could get my 270 and just take care of this, but I don't want to wake my neighbors. This is for you guys. I'm taking care of my neighbors. I don't want to startle anyone. So... Ping, and instantly the spray, and I'm like, ah! I go back inside, and Nikki's like, what have you done? <laughs> like, I didn't even get close to that thing. She's like, oh, my word. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's dead. It sure doesn't smell like it, because it's very much sound, smells still alive. 
That ground stunk so bad, I literally dumped diesel fuel on my precious lawn and burned it. And it still didn't help. People would come over and say, what is wrong with your yard? There was a skunk there three months ago. It's dead now. In the same way, that is sin in our lives. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, he's like, done, taken care of. I've taken care of this. But yeah, the linger of the stench and the reality of being human in this world is that sin has a way of keeping its grip on us and affecting us and infecting us over and over. And so to say yes to Christ and the freedom from sin doesn't mean that we're going to not sin. It means that we are changed so that we are not sinners. We are sanctified. We are not fully sanctified, but in the process of sanctification, we are forgiven and we happen to continue to sin. And that is the best news there is. Because the punishment of sin and death is no more. That's why we get to live in the freedom of today. And check this out. The writer says, why is Jesus coming back? Why is Jesus coming back? To judge? To bring judgment and condemnation? I know some of us love to say that, but the writer of Hebrews isn't saying that here. (laughs) So part of this is reorienting and acknowledging that that at times we have terrible theology that infects us and affects how we view the return of Christ and how we view other people. Jesus Christ is coming back, not to deal with sin, it's already been taken care of, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. The return of Jesus Christ is about bringing those who have said yes to the gift of salvation to bring them home. It doesn't say judgment and punishment and hellfire and brimstone. I understand we could talk about other verses. We're not talking about those verses right now. We're talking about Hebrews Verse 28 of chapter 9, and the joy of awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back for us to save us. Maybe I should have taken off and been sitting out in that blind waiting for that big buck that I've been looking for. I guarantee he's out there right now. Jesus Christ is coming back for those who identify as his followers to save us. Yes! I mean, amazing! Amazing! I mean, how excited do we get during a football game? We're like, oh, yeah, the Gophers are going to win. And then we're like, oh, no, it's a Minnesota team. They're going to blow it in the end. (laughs) But in the middle, we're like, yes, Skyuma, Gophers are coming. And I'm like, really? Are they really coming only to disappoint us? This is real. (laughs) 
Jesus is coming back, and he's going to save those who are in him. And in the, in the in-between time, when we say yes to him, we are freed because he has taken care of sin and death. He's taken care of it. We have ultimate freedom to experience the joy of salvation in the present, knowing in the future when Jesus comes back, we got it. And what a glorious day that will be. It's not here yet. So how do we live in the present, in the freedom of Christ? The first thing we have to do is acknowledge that we are his and allow the transforming work of his Holy Spirit to enter into our lives. And I don't know where we're at today. I don't know where we're at today. But wherever we're at, this is the best news we have. Even if you're sitting out in your deer stand watching this. I know, I'm only slightly jealous. But how much more jealous are people that don't know the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ and the freedom that he brings to our lives? Let's pray. Jesus, we cannot thank you enough for the joy that you bring to our lives. You came and you dealt with it. When you hung on that cross and you said, it is finished, you meant it and it is finished. And we have the opportunity when we say yes to the offering of a relationship with you, freedom from the sin that exists in our lives the ultimate freedom to enjoy what it is that you have for us. Holy Spirit, we pray. We pray that you would move in us, that this would never become just another, meh, whatever. Holy Spirit, for, for, for all of us, May you move in a way that, that we cannot deny it. And that as you extend your hand to us, may we take it and never, ever let it go. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll invite you to stand. Let's all respond together in thankfulness.